Well, good morning, everyone. You're tuned to Community Radio 3CR. Time is just after 7.30. And, of course, that's time for the 3CR Gardening Show. My name's Pam Vardy. First up, we have to welcome back into the studio Millie Ross from ABC Gardening Australia. Hi, Millie. Good morning, Pam. Pam, I'm Millie from 3CR when I'm here. You know that. <laughs> oh, good, good. I was 3CR first. <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't know. What our listeners associate you I with. I know, and it's hard, isn't it? Cause it you, is hard. People who perhaps haven't listened to the program forever would be like, who are these people? Every time they listen, they get to, to meet someone new. But yes. and, and you're one of these people that wears a few hats. I do, and uh, I will apologise. I don't know if you can hear the mics are pretty directional, so you often can't pick up the studio noise, just what we're saying. But that weird noise in the background will be my dog. Pulling her chewy to pieces. So I'll try. <laughs> well, at the moment she's been very quiet, so yeah. all is well. <laughs> but, but yes, it's um look exciting time of the year. There's no doubt about it. It's you, your head can run away with itself a bit at this time of the year. The anticipation of all the things you want to get done for this season and well, it's already starting to explode, Millie. It really the is. wattles everywhere. The blossoms coming out. It's just going manic. Absolutely, and so much rain, which is which is great. It was looking pretty dire early in winter, so it was good to, good to see we've had a. Had a fair bit of rain um, up our way for sure. So yeah, look, exciting time of the year. There's not, but it, you know, if you're a gardener, it's always exciting, isn't it? Oh. You'd be excited staring at something. <laughs> cold, <laughs> that hasn't cold moved frosty for three morning. Weeks. I don't know. I That's don't mind less the frost. It's quite fun. Oh, it might be fine once the sun breaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a bit of a wuss that way. Oh, no, I don't mind it. I have to, you know, and actually. The other day I was walking and um, it wasn't a frost, you know, it had been, it was a warmer morning and there's still quite reasonably heavy frosts up at home um, most most days. But I, I did have a moment when I went, oh, I'm, I'm already missing it, you know, that I know that I'm now on my way into a warmer season and it'll be gorgeous and I'll celebrate it. And the way we sort of miss summer and winter and miss, you know, I, I really thought... Oh, I'll miss that real crunchy frost, break the ice in the, you know, yep. in the in the in the puddles as I walk the dog of yep. the morning sort of feel. So look, it's all it's all fabulous and Of course it is. You, that's the beautiful thing. It's such a gift to be a gardener, I think, because you notice stuff. Yep. You notice stuff that half the world walks past. Exactly. And it I just think someone someone I, I posted something on Instagram the other day that I was obsessing over something, I can't even remember what it was, and and someone made this comment and said is it wrong to think about your garden all the time? <laughs> and I thought, no, it's a gift to have that to think about all the time. You exactly. Know? When, you, when your brain isn't going through all its machinations for the day, you've always got that place that you could just sort of rest back and start thinking about your garden and what you might get up to when you get the time to do it. It and keeps you grounded, really. I think it's a It really gift. keeps you grounded. Yeah. For sure. Okay. We've also got to say an extremely good morning to Tim Sanser and Tim's Nursery General Manager there at Australian Ecosystems. Hi, Tim. Morning, Pam. How are you? Good. Good. Morning, listeners. Morning, gardeners. They're up. Definitely up and and about. (laughs) I'm just taking up what Millie's been talking about there. That I yes, it's a gift to be a gardener. That that sense of observation, that sense of what's uh, what's the discovery. Mm. I often find myself, you know, in a you know, I'm going to bed one night just thinking about stuff. The 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 thoughts that drift my through my head are, oh, I remember planting that. Wonder where that is. I'll go and check that tomorrow. Mm. You know, that that sort of. I don't know, that, that sense of something that's other than the daily dross, you know? Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, I, it's great. And I think sometimes, you, you know, people who don't garden sometimes are a bit apologetic for it, you know? They're, oh, I'm not a gardener. Or, you know, if they want to ask is a you a question. Exactly. Yeah. If they want to ask you a question or that we're this higher authority because we know a bit of stuff about it. But really, I just feel like I, mm. I, I was blessed with this passion. And I, I feel like I receive it as a gift, not yep. that I am a 
better person for having and it or that I'm, you know, I'm more responsible. It's hard to stop people feeling judged if you're carrying your banana skin home from work instead of putting it in the bin because <laughs> they freak out. But, but you know, it's, it's still you just kind of have to keep gently reminding people that come on in. And it's, and you it's know, a journey. You can do this too. It's, it's a journey of discovery, Gardner. Oh, totally. You know, and it's not about how long you've been doing it. It's not about how much you know, how many Latin names you know. It's, yes. not, it's, not, it's not about that. It's no. about the experience of engaging in a bit of nature, whether it be, you know, a plant on a balcony or a little, you know, wicking bed garden or a, a full-blown herbaceous me. border. It, yeah. It's just what, you know, it's just what, you, what you're into and... Anyone should have a crack. And, and we Absolutely. all change what we're into, you know, over the yeah. course of, of what we're we interested do. in in our lives. We evolve. And yeah. yeah. And you, you try different things. I mean, I, the other day I was thinking about, I can't even remember what plant. I was in the in the botanic gardens. I went and met Doug who bought me at the 3CR oh, right. Radiothon. So we had lunch. We went for a walk. We had this great, well, hopefully he thought it was great because I had a whole lot of work to do. So we went, come on, Doug, we've got to go to the herbarium and meet, who, you know, it was fantastic. Saw some amazing things. But, you know, we're walking through the camellia garden and you know it's not really my thing but I you know I looked at the camellia I think it's uh, lutuensis the beautiful weeping uh, species and I remembered I had one of them at some point you know but I think where did that go (laughs) what did I do to that you know that was a big plant and you know so you know you have different interests and different things capture your attention through the whole thing and it you know it's something that I always do last weekend I had um, a really great day on Saturday. I was at uh, the Garden Club in Malden, which mm-hmm. is a little town, a little historic town. Oh, I used to live in Malden. Oh, yeah. there just you go. Breathtaking bit of mm. you know, mm. very degraded forest around it. Like yeah. it did, did sort of. It's it's bony country. In yeah, yeah, and it's been been mined and mm. logged and all those things. But um, just a beautiful place. And so they had a, a gardener's day out, and I spent the day there. And um, the first talk, you know, I talk about plants doing everything. That's kind of my my catch. But really. What I try and do is foster a room full of people who a lot of them are probably have been gardeners all their lives, they're traditional sort of style gardeners, to grab those young folk whenever they need a hand or they're doing something, you know, they need some encouragement to actually help them. And even if you think what they're doing isn't quite right or isn't what you like the look of or any of those things that it's it's our job as gardeners to kind of foster that interest. To nurture get it, them yeah. started. Yeah. And they'll they'll get better. And they'll make better decisions and they'll choose better plans. They'll have and more they'll, success and success have, yeah, breeds exactly. success. And, exactly. But if you put yeah. those barriers up that you're doing something wrong or that's a terrible plant or, you know, something like that from the from the start, then, you know, how do you expect people to, to want to come on in yeah. and, and have, have more fun doing it? It's, it's, it's I mean, in, I, in my 10-odd years at Diggers, I spent a lot of time, we spent a lot of time talking about how do you – how do you work with a group of people who are new to gardening and people who are novice and then people who are experts and how mm-hmm. do you have that same conversation? And it is a bit of a different conversation from time to time. We do it every week yeah. on the program. Yeah, yeah, because different yeah. calls come in, different levels of expertise. Yeah. Yes. But everyone's – once you're on the journey, yeah. once you're on the journey and you're, and you're starting to have a little bit of success, have a little seed of success, you know, grow a seed to, to fruition to a tomato, fruit or whatever – that's that's uh, addictive. Yeah, no, it's the it, thing that keeps you going, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, and then and once once you're into that, then you become the gardener. The sort of the green starts to run in your veins, and yeah. and away you go. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I had a had a great day filming on Friday, so my my world is just a little bit. <laughs> I can't remember where I was on what day, but um, filming at my favourite uh, seedling nursery in the in the universe, James H Lee. So they're wholesale seedling growers down in Brighton, and they're you know original old school. <laughs> 
nursery. It's been there for over 100 years. And um, I was interviewing Alan, who's sort of third generation of the family on that site. So they were market gardeners before that. And, you know, I told great story about how they ended up growing seedlings. They were market gardeners. But his grandfather was mates with Mr Coles and Lady Coles. And so they started growing seedlings to put into coal stores, wrapped in newspaper, Growing right. on the ground. And then it was coals that kind of went, actually, they're degrading. Let's, should we put them in this, this plastic punnet? Mm. So it was a really great story. But he, he uses this expression there because their business has, you know, shifted a huge amount over the last 100 years. You know, it's gone. And even over the last 20 years, 20 years ago, they were growing 80% flowers and 20% vegetables. And now you can imagine for the home garden market, that's completely flipped. Mm. Oh, yes. Yep. And now he says people want big pots and he mm. calls them the microwave gardeners. <laughs> <laughs> Or instant. It's yeah, the TV dinner. Guys, oh, we call it microwave gardening. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like it's sort of not really gardening. It's watering a pot. But <laughs> but still, you know, I guess you've got to be really – gardeners know it's more fun to do it yourself. But it is, um, you know, perhaps that's where people start and then next year they might think a bit earlier – oh, maybe I'll put some herbs in, you know, and maybe they'll start at seedlings and yeah. then, God forbid, in 10 years they might even start some seed. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, seed, seed it's interesting because seeds are seeds really where um, the magic happens, isn't it? Oh, oh you yes. Know, and, 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 but it's hard too. It, well, actually, it's, it's – it's you've got to know a little bit. Of, it's if you jump straight into seed and you fail with seed, yeah. you're probably you going to jump out again. Yeah. Um, so start. You know, this is for all the novice gardeners, gardeners out there listening. Yeah, start with seedlings, but play around with some easy seeds. Like yeah. probably the easiest seeds, and this time of the year is not a, not a bad time. Is poke some poke some pea seed into the ground. Mm-hmm. It, it's just a big seed. Soak it in water. Poke it into the ground. It comes up. You don't have to do much, yes. and you get instant success. Yeah, well, not instant, but but. Well, you can eat the gardening. leaves. I did. Yeah. Uh, I brought some seed of some pea seeds. I grabbed things to remember because you know at the moment I'm sowing peas for foliage. Yeah, so I okay. had I had such a uh, you know the beautiful um, kitchen garden down at Werribee Mansion there, the Karen uh, garden down there is just mind blowing, and they grow all these great. They just had so many peas. I was making salads out of them a few months ago, and I went, why am I sitting around waiting for the peas? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> when I can eat all that yeah. green stuff, and yeah. you know. The lovely Jerry Colby Williams said, "Oh, actually, I've got from Seed Savers. I've got this particular variety that's very prolific in its growth habit, and so he sent me some seed um, specifically for leaves. For, for leaf, for, so yeah. you know, even cutting out that it, that reward timer <laughs> a little it's, bit more. So it's it's only like three or four weeks, and you're eating it yeah, rather yeah, than waiting it, for the full exactly. thing. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, but seed sowing it is one of those things, and it's I'm upset. Like every surface in my house right now is covered in all my seed packets because yeah. yesterday I decided to." Sort some things out. It's that time of the year, isn't it? You're it is looking not ahead. Sowing, this is, you yes. know, and that's, that's, that's the other thing about gardening is it does require a bit of planning. Yeah. You know, and that's, but that's okay once you get into your rhythm. You know, this is the time of the year when we spread out our seeds. What have we got left? <laughs> fine, you know, fine. We've got five packets of the same thing and have yeah. never sown <laughs> yes. it. Yeah, but we keep no, buying no. it. Because <laughs> I really, really want to grow that. It's fatal for me to look in a seed oh. catalogue because I just accumulate all these packets of seeds. And then, you know, two years down the track, I suddenly go through them again and think, oh, I haven't ever sown that. <laughs> Do you know I have? I haven't got seeds. room anywhere. <laughs> I have seeds that I bought from Baker Creek in the states, probably nearly ten years ago, and I'm like, right, they're not necessarily going to be viable, but I can't like some a whole lot of chilies, a whole lot of different okra varieties, and I don't even think you'd be able to get them into the country now because no. things no. are tight. No, both you couldn't. And um, and so I'm thinking. I need to billet these. <laughs> and so I've decided all the okras going to the Karen because I was yeah. having a chat, chat to idea. Evelyn about okras. Because yeah, it's better there than your seed exactly. packet in your drawer. Oh, yeah. Yes. Nice, nice frost-free environment. Yeah. And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll do it better than anyone. So I thought, right, I'll 
all those packets of okra can go to Evelyn and she'll, you know. And then I thought, got my friend who's from Calcutta, I'm like, right, you're doing the chilies. Yes. <laughs> Great then, idea. And then hopefully, you know, it, it's you can you can keep things growing. And that is another thing with your seed store. You've got to grow things out yeah. and see if they're still ticking. Save some more seed if they're an open pollinated variety and um, and keep them you know, keep them actually progressing because they're, you know, my seed box is not a safe environment. No, know? and and really, how many of us do have a, de- a dehumidifier and a yeah. temperature control? Yes, room exactly. And, you know, yeah. we we all just have a seed box. Yeah, exactly. Or a Full jar. Of weevils, it yeah. turned yeah. out yeah. when I opened yeah. it yeah. yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> great. Uh, <laughs> Best way to keep them going is to grow them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I did see a, a great little um, setup. I mean, it, it was at a botanic garden, so obviously uh, they had a, a more thorough setup. But at the Cairns Botanic Gardens, where they were doing some work with a, a whole lot of um, rare and uh, threatened species and they just used the silica uh, for the drying which was really yep. really basic and it actually changes colour um, when it's saturated so okay. you've got your beads and they, they just go like a dark green or yep. something so then they can come out and they have to be dried again yep. and he, you know they, they had a little hum, hum, humidity Dim, reader sort yeah. of in their, in their seed store the, but just plastic boxes just drying them out to the point Look you can where, actually it's, it's a you know we, we're sort of yeah. poo-pooing the fact that people just store their seed in a, in a box. But you can actually do better than just a box. You, like you can use some little silica. You can Maybe put a plastic a, box. A plastic box so, so it's it's yep. not getting temperature fluctuation. So the, the keys are really moisture and temperature fluctuation. Yep. So if you can keep the temperature as constant as you can and you can find someone in your house to do that yep. uh, and if you can keep the humidity out of them, mm. you're going to do much better than just leaving them in the kitchen where they're getting all the steam from the, from the boiling yeah. pot and the, you know, and the temperature goes up and down by 10 degrees every day. Yeah. And if you've, you, got to, you've got to mice-proof them. Yeah, oh, yes. I uh, discovered that by him. <laughs> I know, well, the hard way. I've, I've, I grew this amazing. You know, talk about the amazing seed. I picked up this little packet of blue corn from a gardener in Margaret River years ago and sowed it last year for the first time and Never expected that. <laughs> for the, for those listening at home, there's this beautiful black corn cob in front of me, which yeah, is in, it, like lustrous and superb. It's amazing, and you just keep you know staring into it. And and the plant itself was fantastic. It was three meters high, you know, just this colossal thing. And and I I decided okay, I want to save all the seed of this and try and plant it out as one big maze or something this year. And uh, but yeah, the mice. Yes. <laughs> I had to have it all hanging from <laughs> yeah. the ceiling because exactly. the mice were like. Oh, isn't that a delicious, unusual corn? Yeah. Well, I actually use corn cobs in my mouse traps. So. Ah, ah, there you go. Because <laughs> they stick on the little thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> oh, Perfect. dear. Not black ones, though. No, okay. Are too valuable. I must get to a few community announcements because things are starting to warm up, literally, weather-wise and also uh, event-wise. Uh, first up. Uh, today there is actually an orchid show and sale on down at Sky. Um, it's at the KCC Park there in Sky, and um, it's been running all weekend. But it is open today for the last day of the show. It's actually at the uh, Box Hall Pavilion at KCC Park. Now the address of this is six fifty five Western Port Highway there in Sky. They're going to have over twenty local and international vendors selling orchids, potting bark and uh, accessories. It opens at 9am this morning and is running through till 4 o'clock this afternoon. Entry, adults $10, children under 15 are free. Now coming up next weekend, uh, September 1st, uh, running through to September the 3rd, is the 61st uh, Leon Gather Daffodil and Floral Show. 
This will take place in the Memorial Hall at Lee and Gatha. Admission is $5. Children are free. It's going to be featuring a wide variety of flowers, beautiful floral art, pot plants, children's work and photography, and a plant stall. Now, this is the largest daffodil and flower show in Victoria. Um, and it's uh, running in uh, conjunction with the Rotary Art Show as well. If you'd like more information, you can phone Sue. Her number is 5668-6334. That's 5668-6334. Now, also coming up uh, next Friday, September the 1st, uh, Kevin Sparrow will speak on the flora of Victoria's Southwest. Uh, this is at the Australian Plant Society Keelor Plains Group September meeting. Uh, the group meets at Raleigh Road Activity Centre, which is 54 Raleigh Road in Maribyrnong there. Now, it opens at 7.45 for an 8 o'clock start. Um, in addition to the speaker, there'll be plant sales and supper provided. Uh, everyone is welcome. If you'd like more information, you can contact info at apskeelawplains.org.au. So that's info at apskeelawplains, all one word, .org.au. Now, also coming up next Saturday, the 2nd of September, out at Pepper Tree Place in Coburg, they've got not only their uh, usual food swap, uh, but they're also running a couple of uh, workshops as well. The first workshop is all about bookbinding with plant fibres. This is being run uh, with Rowan Kirby-Brown, running 11am to 1pm. And the other workshop will be Sustainable Scented Gardening with Yvonne Pakujak from Garden of Delights. Again, that runs 11am through to 12.30. Now, uh, to make a booking for either of those workshops, you can call uh, Tash. Her number is 0431-494-773. I'll give that again. 0431-494-773. Now, for the bookbinding workshop, it is uh, $35 per person, which includes all materials supplied, for the Sustainable Scented Gardening Workshop, um, that's $10 uh, full price or $8 concession for that one. And as I say, to contact uh, and book for either of those, phone TASH on 0431-493-773. And of course, Pepper Tree Place is out there on the corner of Bell Street and Sydney Road. It's officially uh, 512 Sydney Road in Coburg. Now, uh, our good friends out at um, Wilson Botanic Park there, or it's not a botanic park, but Wilson Park in Berwick, um, they've got an Australian native plant sale coming up again next Saturday. Everyone's getting in on first day of spring. They're just <laughs> getting uh, all excited and things are happening. Uh, now, this plant sale is a cash-only plant sale. The proceeds are going to support uh, Wilson Botanic Park. There you go. It is a botanic park, officially. Mm. Um, it's uh, it's uh, at uh, Princess Highway there in Berwick, Melway's 111B7. Now, they're going to have native plant stalls, native flower displays, specialist book stalls, and a raffle. Uh, if you'd like uh, more information, you can go and have a look at their website, 
which is APS Wilson Park Berwick, all one word, dot org dot au. So APS Wilson Park Berwick dot org dot au. Okay, now um, I did notice that uh, next weekend we have the uh, the start for the season of Open Gardens Victoria. But um, the very first garden, which is opening next weekend, has been fully booked out already, would you believe? Um, so stay tuned. We will uh, mention gardens as they open. But uh, just a, a warning to listeners, if you've been hankering for going to visit a few open gardens, they are starting up next weekend and uh, we'll bring you details of uh, further garden openings, openings as they come to light. But next weekend, the opening garden has been fully booked out. It all had to be pre-booked, uh, so I'm afraid that one is not available. Uh, now, our friends down at Geelong Botanic Gardens, um, they've got their next uh, event uh, being run by the, uh, the Friends Group. Now, again, uh, no, this one's happening Sunday the 10th of September, so you've got uh, a little bit more notice. Uh, it's their next uh, walk and talk. You meet the guide at the Geelong Botanic Gardens main entrance steps at 2 o'clock, and uh, entry is a gold coin donation. And this one is entitled Seeds, Hedges and History. So it's a walk looking at the seed production beds, for the gradual reseeding of Eastern Park following weed eradication. Uh, you can look at the plants for hedging in the demonstration beds near the conservatory and discover a little bit of history about uh, what they're doing there with the conservatory. So as I mentioned, meet the guide at the Geelong Botanic Garden main entrance steps. This is Sunday the 10th of September, uh, 2 o'clock for that one. All right, we might uh, open up our talkback lines. I do have a couple more which might, we might get to in a little while. But if you'd like to join us this morning, we have uh, Millie Ross and Tim Sanson in the studio this morning. So we'd love for you to join us with a gardening question. That number is 94190155. That's 94190155. Millie, you're heading west. I am heading west. Whoa. Um, not Footscray, which is, of course, <laughs> where I said. No, I am. I'm heading, um, I think there's a few spots um, left, but heading to Western Australia at the end of September. I think it's the 24th, the tour starts. Um, and we're going to, I'll pick you up at the Perth Airport. Um, and then we're going to head north up to sort of around Geraldton, Calbarry, around that area, then back through Perth and, and down south. So we end up down as far as Albany. It is Albany for those of us who grew up in WA, not Albany. Um, <laughs> it's uh, it's one of those uh, um, things. And yeah, look, hit some of the forests. Some um, there's some sort of more traditional gardens, some rose gardens, etc., as well as um, some of the wild stuff. But yeah, a couple of weeks on the bus, we'll end up in Margaret River for a few days. Um, have a bit of time to mooch around there. You probably meet my mum and my brother. Oh, it's a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's uh, they're all there. So uh, and uh, my brother's a gardener actually in in Margaret River. So. Um, well, what are their reports on? I hear that Western Australia has had terrific rainfall. Heaps of rain. The last, some of the best rainfall they've had for decades at this time. The of last end. couple of years have been pretty amazing, mm. I think. So, look, of course, I'm I'm anxious because I know Roger and Gwen are already there, and it's a, you know we're going a bit later um, for for a number of reasons that I'm going to miss all the best stuff. But no, look, it's going to be absolutely fantastic, and really areas that um, I haven't been since I was ten years old or younger, really. Um, so I'm really really excited. So it's with Travel Right Tours. 
um, which, of course, you can search them up on the web. You've probably got – you're better organised than I am, Pam. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so starting at the 24th of September, we go through to about October 6th, I think. So it's two, two weeks. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just should be – should be remarkable, really. I mean, I think it's uh, – we were talking uh, through the week and, um, you know, working out where you stop for lunch and a, a few things because there's some big distances to travel yeah. in WA. There are. You, you're travelling quite a way, actually. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, the fellow who's who's actually driving the bus has, has done this tour quite a few times. and You know, he knows all the spots. So if you're going to stop for a loo break, you're probably going to stop, stop somewhere really spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's – um. It is a, it's like another world, Western Australia, yeah. and I always – even just the quality of the light there, the second you get off the plane, you know, you really it – is, it is a really different place and a really different place for growing. And obviously, you know, one of the 17 biodiversity yeah. uh, hotspots in the world. So, um, you know, it should be an absolutely great trip. And, yeah, we've had some good rain, mm. um, hopefully lots of wildflowers out and about. And, you know, they are – there's the, the permanent stuff. There's some, you know, fantastic – diverse shrubby stuff, there'll be orchids, um, but then there is that ephemeral mm. sort of only only reacts when it, when the season is right sort of stuff. So I, hopefully... It, must, it was probably 10 years or so ago, I, I did with a different company, mm. did a, a, a tour to Western Australia, a similar kind of thing. It wasn't yeah. just around the wildflowers. We did um, domestic gardens and went down yeah. to Albany, went to the Tingle Forests. And, oh, yeah. But um, we... There wasn't, hadn't been a great rainfall that year coming in. Yes. And everyone wanted to see the fields of paper daisies, um, which was, you know, what I wanted to see too. Yeah. But what we ended up seeing was they'd actually cultivated a bunch of uh, paper daisy fields in the King's Park yeah, uh, Botanic Gardens. Yeah, it's quite amazing what they do. And so we all managed to get that photo yeah. of standing amongst <laughs> the pink and white paper daisies. You know. Paper daisy angel. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, which was a great relief because we weren't going to get it out in the wild. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But I do remember going on that tour and, and it was a slightly daunting tour because, as you say, it's one of the biodiversity hotspots in the world. And I was going along as a botanic guide right. from Victoria. Right. So I took along my field ID book and yes. set, set the whole group, okay, go and find things and we'll, yeah. we'll figure we'll out, what out what they are, are. That's what I, which I'm, was great fun. Yeah. It was really good fun. We, we had a bunch of little um, hand lenses and you know we're taking photos and bringing them back. And it was a really good fun way to do it. I think it, so. It learned, I learned a lot. They learned a lot. Yeah. And it was a really engaging process. It's and it's not – no one can be an expert and certainly – unless it's Roger and Gwen, you know, you're not going to be an expert in a place that isn't your place. Mm. And um, I think that's part of the fun though. I mean I always find when I travel, you know, I grab the local guidebook in Alice Springs or wherever and by the end of the trip I'm I'm getting quite familiar with the plants. And But, you know, the first day you're just sort of like, oh, gosh, you know, where, where do I even start? But look, I, I've got, I actually thought that I've got a stack of books that yes. I'm going to – I'll probably travel with one pair of pants you know, one shirt and a whole lot of books. Yes. <laughs> At least and, you're on a bus. Well, and, and then we can all, you know, really go through that process of working out, you know, learning about them together yeah. because I don't know about you, but I, I find that I, I enjoy learning a lot more when I get to do it myself, you know, as opposed to retaining what someone tells you. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. And, and you're seeing it there in, in front context. of you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, look, it should just be absolutely great. And, you know, my fingers are crossed for some really nice orchids down Augusta Way mm. and, and uh, you know, they're just – there's something – and I'm hoping there's a few people that's never seen a na- native orchid on the uh, mm. on the tour because really it's the sort of thing that just changes your perspective yep. on life, real, doesn't it? A real it? botanical thrill. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thrill seekers yeah. 
hunting around at ground oh, level. Just and just all of the you know it's it's interesting. I was going to say last night um, on Gardening Australia, Squid and I went truffle hunting, and um, and you know it was it was really fun and it was actually a story I'd been trying to get up for years. But the timing's really hard, you know, to get mm. it to air in yes. winter still and and film it because we've got a couple of months. So I'd been trying to get it up for years, and then I realised now I was on the show and I had a dog, and I was like, oh, I totally get to do this story, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, my story. And, um, yeah. and it, you know the the Tragically, and I'll only tell the 3CR audience, we lost about half of the footage of that shoot. So there was a fault with the camera. Oh, so no. So the story was, you know, it was bigger. There were more conversations about how and why the truffle exists in, in you know, symbiosis mm. with the tree. But, you know, that relationship between fungi and plants, it, it happens underground with so many species mm. and things like the orchids. They don't exist without their partners, That's you know. Right. So it's just not only do you look at this tiny, gorgeous little thing, but you look at something that is so particularly evolved with another fungal partner, perhaps a you know an insect pollinator partner. Yeah. That you know, it's it is this bigger picture, and it's in a really wonderful... harsh environment too. I mean, I think that's part of although that is what's created this diversity in in a, in a spot like Western it's Australia. Old and it's harsh, old, harsh, <laughs> difficult. Yes. So they've found the most novel ways to exist, mm. which are mycorrhizal associations or other symbiotic relationships that have just made it happen because they had to. Survival. Yeah, yeah. and just um, such diversity within even genus, you know. Mm. So because of isolation, you've got species that are, you know, could have been the same thing, but because they're 60 kilometres away from each other and there's only 20 plants of each, you know, they've actually evolved into independent species and, um, you know, that diversity. Yeah, I just think it's going to be, be so much fun. So okay, I, w- I will just give out the details, Millie. Um, and I, I must mention... Thanks, Pam. Tra- <laughs> much better at that than me. What, your PA? <laughs> <laughs> Terrible at it. I, w- I will say travel right is spelt R-I-T-E. So it's travel right, R-I-T-E, on the end of the word. But toll-free number, one 630 343 or you can email Dot com dot au. So that number again, toll free, one eight hundred six three zero three four three. If you want Unbelievably, to uh, go with Millie. They've actually got an office you can drive to and have a conversation with someone. Okay. Great. Real. <laughs> yeah, so there's two offices, but you can... Um, okay, well, the, yeah. the one I've got here is 423 Whitehorse Road there in Baldwin. There you go. You can go and have a chat. And, yep. And if you don't want to come with me, they'll have something else good to, for you to do. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all good. Um, that number again, if you'd like to join us this morning, 94190155. We're going to go to our first caller, and uh, it's our good friend Ken in Sunshine. Good morning, Ken. Good morning. I've got a fantastic story to tell you today. We Remember the park we were fighting to keep? And How could we forget, one? Ken? Sorry? We couldn't forget. Well, we had a day yesterday. We we picked the, the, the people of the area picked what they wanted. The council had a meeting and with us in the park and, and what we wanted. They had different types of... And anyway, we picked... Uh, all Indigenous to the area. Fantastic. And um, the park is going to be completely finished by Christmas. Oh, oh Ken, wow. what a win. And it's a terrific between a lot of people came yesterday and uh, it, just, it just shows you that if you all stand up for your rights, and especially saving parks. Absolutely. Well done, Ken. That's fantastic, and Ken. we've got a council now. We haven't got a dictatorship and the mayor is a terrific bloke. He's a mate of mine and um, <laughs> he's, uh, he, he's, he's brought... People having what they need in their area and discussions, and that's 
so important. Anyway, thanks very much for listening to me, and uh, you've you've all been a great help. You're a great help every weekend. Oh, well done, Ken. Well done to you and you. And as I've said before, it's the best program that's around in in gardening and the best brains too. Thank you very much. (laughs) Good on you, Ken. Congratulations. Yes, indeed. Bye. Bye. Isn't that great? You know, the world's best parks are made by people. People mm. go to the people High Line. Care. What about yeah. the High Line yeah. in New York? Yeah. That yeah. was people. Yeah. They were gonna, that was going to get smashed down and developed. And yes. it was the residents who went, actually, we quite like that weedy wasteland. Yeah. <laughs> we walk out right in the middle of our there. city, we've got yeah. this beautiful space yeah. that we're just using. And so it's actually can't we keep green. It? Yeah. 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 It's the people that make the noise. Yes. Never, never think your, your opinion doesn't count, you know? Exactly. Mm. Okay, next up we're going to Thelma in Leangatha. Good morning, Thelma. Oh, good morning, panel. How are you today? We're well, thank you. So, just ringing up to let everybody know it is on again. This is our 61st year. Yes, I I did mention it, Thelma. You weren't listening. Oh, well, I know that. I was so, but (laughs) I'm just sort of, you know, reinforcing what you've already told you because some people were still in bed not listening. Okay. (laughs) It sounds like you're all excited about it again. Well, this year it's going to have a slight change in the venue because it's on a Friday, Saturday and Sunday right. to run in conjunction with the art show that's down here. But this year the Chamber of Commerce have all come in and they're closing off the streets and there's just going to be a, a real festival this year. Terrific. Yeah, so it, it's sort of become bigger than Ben-Hur. Well, we hope anyway. That is absolutely fantastic. And we're hoping, hoping that the weather gets a bit better. Although oh, look, gardeners a... don't care, Thelma. <laughs> <laughs> They'll come out in any weather. Exactly right, exactly right, because we're all gardeners, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. So do you want to give out the details again, so Thelma? The, the details are it is on the 1st, 2nd and 3rd of September and it starts on the Friday, but it doesn't open until um, one thirty on the Friday. But the rest of the day start at 9 o'clock. And how's the weather for the DAFs, Thelma? I uh, was doing some uh, Daffodil Festival judging yesterday in Kyneton, and oh, they're a bit late this year, people they, are saying. Well, ours have sort of come out in, in batches, and then the wind comes and the rain mm. comes. So, yes. Um, and then, uh, you know, in my place, the snails go, yippee! <laughs> you know, that's another thing to get excited about. <laughs> Not. <laughs> But anyway, look, the other flowers, because it's not just daffodils, it's a, a great Langatha Memorial Hall of flowers, the floral Fabulous. arrangements mm. and the natives. The natives this year have just, they have really enjoyed the, the season yeah. mm. this year. They're I, just beautiful. I think that the rain that we've had in the last you know, month so. or six weeks it, has really kicked off. I'm seeing, like you were saying before, wattle blossom. Yes. It's, it's just so everywhere you drive on roadsides. It's incredible. Yes. And it won't be long before the tea trees start to pop too. They're all, I'm seeing yep. them starting up now. Yep. yep. Yeah. So we have a, a big, um, big contingent down here of the native people as well. And so it is just a, a most beautiful place to come um, and, and just enjoy. So we're just hoping the sun will also come on that weekend. Mm. We're getting the rain out of the way for you this week, Thelma. That is so kind. (laughs) What a wonderful gardening show you are. (laughs) (laughs) All the best with the show, Thelma. Thank you ever, ever so much. Okay. (laughs) Bye-bye.
That number, if you'd like to join us, we're running through until 9.15, our usual time slot, so plenty of time for you to grab your cup of tea or coffee and uh, give us a call. The number is 94190155. Tim, for listeners who didn't catch up with you last time you were on, tell them a little bit about Australian Ecosystems and what they do. Okay. Uh, So Australian Ecosystems is um, a a company that does basically integrated natural resource management installation. Uh, What that means is we grow plants, uh, native plants from the greater Melbourne region. We have have a... really impressive team of seed collectors. This was one of the things that I really was inspired by coming to work for Australian Ecosystems. Systems. We've got this fabulous seed bank, all collected from the Greater Melbourne area, all recorded by seed lot, by location. Wow. So, which is, oh, it's awe-inspiring. I, I love being in a space where you're amongst that much potential. It's like standing in that seed bank is yes. like, you think, how many plants are possible out of this? So we grow... Uh, tube stock mostly uh, of um, of indigenous plants for the Greater Melbourne area. Uh, we also have as part of our team a construction division, who then install. So we do a lot of landscape work. So a lot of um, wetland installations, or so when you've got remedial works that need to be done as part of property developments, or part of we do a lot of contract work for Melbourne Water doing wetland uh, remediation or or artificial wetland creation. Uh, so we have one of the, our biggest uh, our biggest specialities is wetland water plants. So lots of uh, rushes and sedges and juncus, and which was interesting for me coming from an ornamental background. Yes, a lot of these things look like green sticks. So <laughs> I'm I'm gradually gorgeous green sticks, gorgeous green sticks, which are super functional in the in the in the <laughs> ecological landscape. Um, so it, it's been a big learning curve for me to to pick up on those. It's actually. Twenty years ago, I was in natural resource management. It's where I originally studied. So it's I'm picking things from my brain from twenty years ago, mm, right. which is things really just good. Pop up when you you think, oh, I actually know that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like you were saying before, Millie, that we as gardeners or or as natural resource practitioners, we actually uh, change and uh, go in different directions at different times. Nature is endlessly fascinating. Yeah. Whether it's the nature in your vegetable garden or, or the nature, or, or the nature in the wetland yeah. out the back, Absolutely. or the the coastal dunes, or, or wherever it is. Um, so, I'm so I'm running the the nursery production division. So we're growing the plants. Um, we have a team that does the installation, and we also have a maintenance team that follow up. And which is which, you know, talking amongst people in in this industry. That's one of the things that kind of gets forgotten from time to time is there's lots of funding from from whether it be local councils or or other um, bodies to do the planting work. You know, they, mm-hmm. they sort of get a stream of funding. Okay, it gets to planting. And that gets in the ground. But if there's no good follow-up... Yes. Uh, it doesn't have that, that success. And you've got to have those... So a lot of, a lot of our jobs, we have a two-year... Uh, maintenance program that follows from the from the um, from the planting, so that it's so that you can be assured that something is stable by the time that happens. Yes, because that's it, great. This, this is an intervention. So this important. Is not, you know, it's it's an interesting space to be in because it's creating a natural system, uh, but it does take creation. I think we have to be aware that this is a created landscape in many ways. So, you know, we we talk about the the parks that that um, we. Preserving um, was it Ken before who yes. who was talking about his in sunshine wonderful we've got to preserve the parks uh, because that's that's where the biodiversity lives and we can't get that back once it's gone but the space that I'm working in mostly now is is remediation for areas that are significantly disturbed really and now we have to create uh, something and it is 
you know, it's it's a it's a human intervention. We have we have deciding what's going to go in there. Mm. Uh, it's effectively a type of gardening, but it's a type of gardening that where we go through, and then you can establish something that will have a uh, longevity and a stability on its own, mm. uh, based on the knowledge that we have around what how ecosystems function and how our how native landscapes work and the jobs they can do. I mean, I think that it's really we're asking a lot of these types of landscapes, aren't we? We're asking them to to not only do all those ecosystem services, so maybe it's clean water, maybe it's filter rubbish from getting into the water, all of those things, but then we're asking it to look gorgeous yeah, as well. it's got to have an amenity and it, function. And people yeah. have, you know, there's a real, you know, people's idea of what is aesthetically acceptable is totally fixed. I had a woman heckle me in the middle of my talk last week because I said I'd planted a hedge of the local tree violet. And she literally, as a physical, couldn't stop herself in front of 100 people, yelled at me and said, the people of Kyneton will hate you. Why? Because it'll seed, because it produces berry. Well, I'm planting it because it's prickly. It'll stop people walking onto my veranda. It'll provide good bird habitat. It's got a gorgeous little fragrant flower, and then it'll produce a berry that the birds and the and the lizards will love, right? So that's why I'm planting mm. it, and I think it's quite attractive. And it grows 100 metres from my house. So, yeah. like, you know, I thought, It okay, all lines well, up, yeah. Yeah, for me. <laughs> but she – and she continued to heckle me throughout the rest of the afternoon about it because she was a farmer. And it seeded on their property sometimes. It was quite yeah. hard to kill because, of course, it lives there naturally. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, but it was, it was really, really – and she wouldn't, she wouldn't stop biting back every time I sort of like made a little joke about mm. people having different ideas of taste. She'd be like, no, 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 you know, that's a terrible plant. She just kept telling me it was terrible. It's funny terrible. how people can get fixated on plants but, being enemies at times. But, or? but that's the thing is like that, that aesthetic idea mm. of what is a garden and also what is acceptable, you know, the, the pressure on – Created ecosystems, I think, is yeah, almost it's a big more challenge. than any other. And, it's, and, in, and if I look at how Australian ecosystems operates now, we, it, it started its life in, in wetland installations, uh, mostly for big Melbourne water jobs, which was about a water quality principally. Yes. Um, but now there's a lot more, as you say, amenity landscapes, and we're having yep. to be – we're doing you – know, we're doing the concrete path that runs through the landscape and the – and the, the the furniture and the playgrounds. Which and, is great because you're going to get people engaging That's with right, it. and that becomes part of yeah. the whole picture. Now mm. you can have the wetland in the middle, yeah. in, in the middle of an urban environment mm. where, yeah. where you're creating a lot of horrible stormwater, really, that's coming yeah. out of... Uh, off Washing off roads. Roads and all yeah. sorts. But you've got, you've got that, that biosystem, you know, that, yeah. that, that biofilter function happening. But around it, you've got a beautiful park that is people are using and engaging. Yeah. So both things are happening. You know, yeah. water birds are coming in. There's an engagement with, with the natural environment, bringing that in. Uh, and, th- and it does take a bit of intervention. And you've got to be pretty sort of pragmatic about how you do it. Yeah. Because if, if you get too rigid around it, you, you can actually shoot yourself in the foot a bit. Yes, mm. yes. Mm. On all these projects, um, is there um, <clears throat> a philosophy to always use indigenous plants of the area? Yes, it is. It's um well, and a lot of our projects will come from a landscape architect that will have done the design, and there'll be species list that comes with that. Yep. Um, but this is a, this is an interesting discussion that that is that is coming. I think at the moment, I, a couple of weeks ago, I went to a forum with uh, the Indigenous Flora and Fauna Association at the Melbourne Botanic Gardens, talking about local provenance. So, um, local provenance for those listening that don't know specifically is that. You can have a, a, a species, let's say it's Leptospermum linigerum, the, 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 the woolly tea tree. It, it will grow all across Melbourne, mm. the same species, mm. but there will, could 
be local provenance or, or a genetic pool of mm. of, lept, of that leptospermum in the southeast that's different to the the basalt plains, for instance. So yep. it might grow differently, even it might. It might. Be a it'll be genetically. It could be genetically different. Yeah. You know. Yes. Um, but that then that's sort of come on the back of lots of. Um, theorising back in the 80s, I think, really. That's where that sort of came from. But there isn't actually a lot of hard science around it. So this discussion that IFA were running was where is provenance and the relevance of provenance now, particularly in relation to changing climate. And mm. as as we model our climate changing into the future, maybe we should be taking species from other provenance, or sorry, provenances from other areas and bringing them in uh, to try and mix up the genes a bit more. Because it's in yeah. in in the natural resource management space, it's been very dogmatic around provenance must be and, and we get jobs where they say you must have seed collected from within 20 kilometers of this mm, right, this area right and that and that's actually not a very easy thing to do for one and actually it's not necessarily desirable as well because mm. it, it um it's so not in a way be... you're actually limiting the whole plant diversity from the gene pool point yeah. of view and, and, then, and let's face it, yeah, we're in a pretty maybe. disturbed landscape. So, yeah, it's, yeah. You know, some, that's what I mean by sometimes you have to be a bit more pragmatic about this if you want these ecological functions to happen. Mm. And some of the predictive science around climate, you know, for example, plants that occur so widely, they're up and down the eastern seaboard, but are, are really varied that, you know, they're starting to actually predict what our climate might associate. You know, that Melbourne yep. will be more like Canberra. And yeah. Canberra will be more like, yep. you know, Dubbo. And, you, and there are models for that, saying yeah. that this is the climate that went, yeah, yeah. So, so Melbourne will have a Dubbo climate. Here, yeah. We should be collecting it from Dubbo, yeah. you yeah. know, and trying to breed the genetic material of that climate um, vigour. So my dog is <laughs> Tim's, Tim's dealing oh, with no. the squid. Um, no, I'll put it back on her bed. But, uh, you know, that, that that genetic material and that ability to adapt yeah. is, is some – maybe we should be bringing that into well, our Well, and there is, now. there is some some trial plots and some um, – at the University of Macquarie, Macquarie University and CSIRO have been looking into how they might do some admixture, what they call mixing different species or provenance from different ranges – where you've got predictions of this is what the climate will be in 30, 40, 50 years and, mm-hmm. how, and how that landscape might respond or those plants yeah. will respond in that landscape. So it's a well, – I guess what the, my take-home from all of that discussion is we don't know a hell of a lot. You mm. know, we make some assumptions, but we don't make – we don't know a hell of a lot. We're guessing a bit. Um, but if we can establish functioning landscapes, you know, ecosystems in landscapes, even if they're pretty rudimentary because they're recreated, that's better than – but nothing. Mm. Oh gosh! And you then have a starting point where will you you want to sort of reset the clock and get a an ecosystem that's then going to take its own way mm. and start to generate itself, and it'll start to select and do what it what it can do it, with the changing climate. We just have to be aware of that and not too restrictive about what we do in the process. It needs to look like this. It's like, yeah. well, no, that sh- planting might shift out to the sunnier part, actually, yeah. and, you know, some other things might occur. I think, too, you know, such value in those landscapes, changing people's thinking mm. and giving people opportunity to engage with them. And, you know, I was heartened at um, attending a landscape architecture conference earlier this year that the whole day was talking about planting. Oh, good. And, uh, yeah. Well, not about and, and, were, and, no, and they were even taking the mickey out of themselves, oh, saying good. it's not often that we talk like this, but it was about wildness. Mm. You know, it was the speakers were all talking about, you know, there was um, even, you know, discussions around past uh, Indigenous management of landscape and how that perhaps can feed into our understanding of it now. But certainly about accepting wildness mm. as and a little bit of unpredictability accepting from our a bit public of landscapes. landscape, a bit of a bit, a bit of fruit of to slip on, yeah, yeah. you know, any of those <laughs> yeah, yeah, a bit things. Of fruit to slip on, yeah. Bit of a berry, yeah. nothing wrong with a berry, yeah. nothing wrong with a prickle, you know. So I, I guess it, it was it was really heartening, and I wondered mm. if if 
um, it's still highly controlled, but certainly I think is is like you say, it's going to be an exciting time and a really interesting time to see yeah. how our landscapes, public landscapes, evolve. Public landscapes, this is and yeah. the jobs they're trying to do. Yeah, and yeah, what functions are we trying to get out of these? Yeah, yeah. yes, this is about there's there's environmental functions, but it's also aesthetic. It's also recreational. It's also it's about repairing. It's it's I mean, and there are and there are circumstances where there are certain plants which are considered to be weedy. And yeah. I think of the, the Bergens, the Kunzia. Yep. Um, that for, it has been considered in t- at times in, in the, the, the purists to be something that you don't plant because it mm. spreads itself. But it's kind of like a, a um, an intervention. It's like mm. a stabiliser, a coloniser, front line. Yes. Yeah. And that's got a role. And I think we have to think more ecologically about those things. Mm. You know, mm. the, you know, And this is something that we are creating that can then go in its own way. So it's yeah. interesting space to be in. We don't we don't have these philosophical discussions every day. We're more at my work. How are we going to grow these plants in time for this job? <laughs> Did they germinate? Yeah. yeah. And them. my God, it's winter and nothing's growing. But, but <laughs> it's, it's like a really that. it's a really good discussion that needs to be had. And and it's something I know I know. For instance, um, Melbourne Botanic Gardens have been looking at at. Um, you know, successional the planning, successional yeah. planning yeah. And, and they've got to take climate change yeah. into account. I yeah. mean, I know they are, but but yeah. really... And I mean, especially if you're in a, in a... And this is relevant for people who've got a bit of room or public space yes. because you're planting trees that are going to be... Mm. They're going to be the... They're going to live for 100 years. Yeah, they're going to be 100 years. I mean, look at the look at the legacy of trees that we have in our botanic gardens yeah. exactly. and they're fantastic. Yes. So, uh, and I might have talked about this on the, on the, on the show before, but... If you go to if you're in Adelaide, there's the Waite Arboretum, mm. and I'm sure you've been there. Mm. It it is a living laboratory mm. of trees that will work in a changing climate. Like for what Melbourne should be looking at, mm. you know, Adelaide is probably a good yeah. uh, uh, a probably analog. And all these trees haven't been watered for a hundred years. Mm. And look at them; there's some beautiful specimens mm. over there, all logged with a little app. You can walk around, and so mm. anyone go when you go to Adelaide, go to the Waite Arboretum because yeah. it's a glimpse of what. Is going to be useful trees for us in the future. Mm. Fantastic. That's good successional planning. Oh, gosh, yes. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, we'll go to our next caller. We have uh, Bill, who's out in Pasco Vale. Good morning, Bill. Good morning. How are you? We're well. Okay. Um, I've got a quince tree, and we haven't pruned it. And I don't think if it's too late to prune it, it's gone a bit, you know, haywire, a bit all over the place. Hmm. That's the good thing about them. They're yeah. pretty crazy. How old is it, Bill? Oh... Been there a few years. I can't quite remember, but um, or is it ten, five, two? Um, probably close to the ten, I guess. Okay. Or not between That's five. Pretty and well 10, established. I guess. Yeah. I, I've got a little quince tree that had been in a pot for a long time and then I'd had it at someone else's house and I planted it in autumn and it really needs a prune but because I love the flowers so yeah. much, I'm going to let it flower first. Um, but what you'll find is if you're pruning now, Bill, you're going to elicit a really vigorous growth response. So it depends why you're pruning it really. Um, well, if you want to control its shape, I'd actually do it late summer would be my advice. Um, so after you harvest the crop or even while you've still got a bit on, take off all the really vigorous growth at that time of the year and you won't get that same explosion mm. again. But if you just want to give it a bit of a shape, take some, some growth off now, that, that would be fine. I'd wait well, till it finishes flowering. It's yeah. quite big. It's, you know, it's, it's really tall. We can't get to the top ones and it goes over the neighbour's fence. We've got it like in a tight spot. We meant to espalier, you, but we never did. Huh. So. Yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. So it, 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 it needs an intervention. It. It, you know, it probably needs to yeah. be cut back. Yeah, yeah. I, I just if you cut it now, it's going to grow yeah. quite hard it's again. It's going to go straight so up again. Yeah. If your long term goal is to kind of bring the growth back into a bit of control, you'd, you'd be better off to sort of prune end of January, maybe even, um, and and then it'll it'll have a little response, but not a big one. So because pruning pruning mm. makes things grow, and, that, and that's the key to summer pruning mm. is that 
if it would, summer pruning is all about vigor reduction, like mm. Millie's saying here, that if you, when you cut, you, it then has a reduced time to recover. Yeah. Any time you cut, any time you cut a, a deciduous tree at this time of the year, you encourage massive amount of growth because yeah. you put it into a phase where it's actively growing yeah. for a whole summer. Yeah, uh, that's that's a pretty simple precept to keep in mind about vigor reduction or yeah, or and the summer winter pruning. But yeah. look, I mean, certainly you can you can sort of give it a bit of a tidy up and a, a bit of a shape now. But any big cuts you make, particularly because they tend to have that sort of scrambly. Growth as well as some quite vigorous upright growth. If you if you're cutting that upright growth back, it'll just it'll 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 show you. <laughs> I'll show you yeah. <laughs> pruning. So yeah, look. So will just shoot up straight away or over a period of time? Well, over over this spring summer. So if if you want to control that growth, just you know anything that you feel, anything that's broken or damaged, you could take out now and then. I would look at giving it a, a good um, sort of reduction in its size at the end of January. Okie dokie. All okay, right. then. enjoy enjoy those blooms. They're so simple, yeah. but so oh, I know, beautiful. But you know, it's just it's it's like Godzilla now. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you see, look, you're better off to go at it from the start. But you can certainly do it. Just just start doing it at the end of summer. Resist the urge yeah. until end of summer. <laughs> okay, no chainsaw. Okay, no, no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. It is such a you know. I know all the theory, but I've got to admit that in my own garden, I do sort of still really puzzle a lot of the pruning questions as far as like I'm planting a new garden. So, you know, I planted a persimmon, definitely didn't prune it, planted a potted plant, not bare root because I'm, you know, I just know how susceptible they are. But I planted a bare root apricot at the start of June, you know, and I really did, I haven't pruned it yet. I'm going to prune it. I was actually just looking yesterday. The tips have, have definitely dehydrated. So because it's been ripped out of the ground and mm. moved, yeah. it definitely need, needed pruning. But I didn't want to prune it in the middle of winter to then have bare branches exposed, not really healing themselves. And you've got wounds. heavy frost at your house. Yeah, heavy. that's right. So yeah. now now I think it's almost I'm going to prune it yeah. in the next couple of days. But, um, yeah, I, you know, and I still I really thought about it. I thought, oh, okay, how am I going to prune this? And then I had a pomegranate that, again, bare root, quite multi-stemmed, completely thin that down to one main leader was my, my, my pruning method there. So I'm hoping that I've reduced the growth enough to have sort of reduced that transplant shock. But it is, it is an art. And even though we all know the theory, you still stop and look at each individual and, and think do. when and how and yep. what are my circumstances. What do I want it to do? I think that's what the thing. What do I thing. want it to do? Yeah. And, and it's around, I often think when you're pruning, I sort of, Put my head into a time machine. What does this one? What do I want, mm. want it to look like? In if I had a time years. lapse yeah. and I could yeah. film and or, or project what it's going to look like, what do I want it to do? That's what I'm pruning it for. Yeah. Whereas I think some people are just pruned because it's like I don't I have to prune in winter and they just yeah. hack it down. Yeah. Uh, and they're not actually thinking about how the plant will respond. Like you're saying with your pomegranate, you're getting it to a central leaf. That's what you want to do with it. So that's that's the information. It's too you're prickly to that. be wide. Yeah. <laughs> they put yeah. it in a very narrow space. But, <laughs> but it is, and it, you know, you often see it with hedges and things like that. Or you know, people might have a row of potosporum and they keep cutting it to the height they want it to be and that's where they cut it but then of course it just grows up and and then you end up with this like cluster of knobbly branches at that point you see it on hedging plants a lot you know luma hedges those sorts of things that you know really for those sorts of plants you're much better off to not be hedging Mm. to be secateurs out selectively pruning different growth at different levels within that plant so you're going to have a nice mixed sort of dense response as opposed to that yeah, because you know? yep. it will always respond from that. And I think that if a tree's growing well, if a plant's growing well, it's got good roots in the ground, it'll always, they'll always respond yeah. um, with active growth. So you're pruning it for new growth. You're not, it's not finished when you're pruning yes. it. That's not the end that's point. It. That's it. No, no, that's the, the starting, that's the starting point. point. Yeah. It, it will now respond. Yes. And, and especially if it's a healthy thing.
Yep, exactly. I've been having ripper fun pruning um, in my neighbour's garden, or sort of like the common land where we're going to put the chooks and the fruit orchard between the three properties. Um, there was a luma there, and a, you know a few big potosporums that have, we've been slowly killing over the last couple of months. And uh, you know the, the luma was sort of just this ugly, covered in you know sooty mould, not an attractive shrub at all. But I cut the potosporum out, and I said, "Can I just? I'm just going to do something with that luma. I really want to ex- expose it." And you know. It took one afternoon of, and actually it took me about 20 minutes of taking out the suckering growth, thinning off all the branches, and now I'm ended up and, and shortening up some growth. And now we've got this amazing looking, and I, I think by the end of summer it'll already be reasonably established, this fantastic sort of cloud pruned luma yeah. with beautiful, beautiful colour bark, which oh. as you come down the driveway now, that's the first thing you see. You never mm. noticed it before because it was just a glob yes. of green. Yes. But now, you know, just and it, and it was such good fun. And uh, I, she wasn't home when I did it. And I was like, sorry. I've just gone a little bit too far. You know, I was trying to do it in gentle stages. But uh, hopefully by the end of summer, now the potosterum is out, it'll fill out that other side and it'll actually be a really beautiful feature. Yeah. All year round. Everything else is going to be quite seasonal in that bed, fruit trees. And, it, and you, um, you what know. you're doing is observing. I, I say this about gardening all the time. You're observing what's there and you're going, I'm going to make something what can work I do with here. That? It's already here. Why do yeah. I pull it out or do something else with it when I can make something good from what's here? Yeah. yeah. It's, all, it's the most fun. It's, I always love that as a gardener, you know, mm. working in other people's gardens that you turn up and you can see potential for so many things in a garden and sometimes it is and you know often when I'm convincing people to paint their fences a dark colour I always tell this story of this garden I looked after for quite a few years and there was about eight different generations of fence you know so all these bits of lattice and all this stuff and from the very first day I said can I paint all your fences you know and it took two or three years before they let me do it but then I you know hired the compressor and I painted them all this sort of lovely charcoal colour and of course you know everyone knows it's the mission brown of the noughties or whatever and um, and uh, and you know, I'm painting this fence through the day. It took me all day because they were all a huge place. And as I kept walking back in the, the gate that I'd walked in a thousand times, and every time I walked in the gate after I'd painted the fence behind this lily pilly, all I could see was this gorgeous trunk. And I'd never noticed it before. And it literally stopped me in my tracks. Every time I walked around the corner, I went, oh, look at that trunk. <laughs> because all I'd done is something as simple as put a backdrop behind mm. it. Yes. So, you know, you can change your perspective yeah. even in your own garden or, you know, just by doing a simple thing, is, you know, pruning it, shaping it, yeah. giving it a backdrop, underplanting, yep. pulling the underplanting away, mm. you know, a, a really simple way to, to, to make you look at something yeah. is to actually just pull everything else away. And mm. um, The yeah, wonderful can, thing that you've, you've now got the opportunity to do if you're um, doing neighbouring gardens as well is that you can create um, the extended backdrop the borrowed landscape. The borrowed landscape. Absolutely. Well, yes. it's going to be a little bit short, but don't worry. I'm already. We're all working on that. <laughs> I know. I did say to my neighbour, "Look, oh, thanks for letting me." And she said, "Oh, I've just figured I couldn't stop you." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, look, it should be it should be good fun. And all my bare root trees actually arrived from Tassie from Woodbridge trees last week, and gosh, they look good. You know, really, really strong. Um, Strong stuff and, um, you know, I'm planting that gorgeous – I think I've brought it in here, the gorgeous Hewinville crab apple yes. with the burgundy foliage <clears throat> and this it's, – it's sort of a hybrid yeah. crab with pink flesh and I dehydrate them. Um, they make just really quite tart but still mm. just fantastic dehydrated apple slices and, um, you know, all sorts of things, green gauge and a golden drop because, you know, you, you can't get those plums really at the shops. No. Uh, and a couple of prunes and, yeah, look, uh, God knows if I'll eat the fruit, but I love planting the trees. <laughs> Who knows if I'll it's still that, be alive it's when that, that happens. That's that promise again, yeah. isn't it? Oh, yes. I actually think for me I know I, I sort of enjoy the sowing of the row of seed more than the harvest. 
like for me, I know that there's so there's something so just rewarding about the process of planning something in your head and laying it out and planting it out that I, I think I enjoy that more than the food, you know. Yeah, it's good that you enjoy the process because yeah, that's, that's, that's the know, zen of it, isn't it? So. Inevitably something goes wrong, you know, yeah. with, with your best laid plans. Yeah. It's very often they don't come to the same sort of fruition as you yeah. expect. Sometimes it's better than you think. Other times it doesn't happen, but yeah. you still get to do the, the actual planting. Yeah. yeah. Let's have a chat about a couple of the plants you brought in, Tim. Mm. Okay, I brought I brought two examples of plants that my thinking in when bringing in these two was it was is along the sort of lines we were talking about before about climate um, changing and garden and how we how we are going to choose plants for our gardens that are going to be appropriate for a hotter climate. Look, we could even though this is the start of spring, I always think about the middle of summer or that that peak of summer, those January February heat waves mm. when the garden really gets. Cooked. Just gets cooked. Just, yeah, it's an inferno. Exactly. And that's that's the most for an Australian gardener or in a Melbourne gardener in particular. I think that's the, probably the most disheartening time of the year. We have spring is all promise. It's easy to garden in spring. You know, the rain falls and the weather's moderate. And but we got growing. To, and yeah. things are growing. Yeah. But when you think about the middle of summer, the the depths of summer or the, the height of summer, I should say, um, plants that are going to work in that that uh, in that circumstance are going to be the things that are going to make our hearts sing at that time of the year. That's uh, right. Uh, so I've got I brought two two plants which could be exam well, they're just examples of two types of plants. I've brought a food plant um, which is a caper. Uh, so this is uh, um, the the caper berry caper flower. Uh, this is a plant that comes from the Mediterranean region. It thrives in the forty plus degrees temperature. It is basically mm. doesn't like it. Um, it doesn't like it, it's it's it doesn't like anything. It doesn't like it too wet. It doesn't mm. like it too cold or it can it can survive winters quite cold but in the summertime it thrives in a you know in inferno mm. um so and beautiful and flowers yeah, are gorgeous. stunning little flowers i mean it, we are, you know you can preserve the buds and eat mm. the buds uh, you have stunning flowers that are sort of like a cat's whisker a lot of mm. white um size of a 50 cent piece yeah or more. quite yeah. quite and and really robust plant and then you can also uh eat the berries too mm. so you've mm. got you've got a, a sort of a nice ground cover uh it's um, the sort of roundish leaves. Um, it's it, it's a. I don't know how I would describe the the plant. The, the plant itself is is sort of prostrate, flat, growing, um, and will grow in cracks in walls and you know. And deciduous too. Des, so it's deciduous. Goes go. You don't mm. see much in the winter time. So it, it takes the cold really well. I think it's the sort of plant. I mean, when, you know, capers are part of a cuisine, a Mediterranean cuisine. We're we're in a Mediterranean climate. Going to be more Mediterranean. It's the sort of plant I think that people, from a food growing point of view, mm. should be thinking about putting in their gardens. It's not you don't have to. It's not. It's not. It's not a pejorative thing. But I think it's a really useful plant for mm. people to have in their gardens. Very ornamental. Up. I yeah. mean, if you you talk about rockeries, you know, yeah. combined with like a prostrate rosemary or something, this is this is a beautiful plant. The one thing that I think. It, and it does really respond really well to a hard prune in winter, so you get that flush of that yeah, grey-green growth. And most interestingly, and this is the thing that my little brain just pops, is it, it is from the Mediterranean, but there are Australian species of Caparis spinosa yes. in the centre, you know, the yeah. bush orange and the bush passion fruit, I mm-hmm. think, the two subspecies in, in around It's actually Alice considered Springs. a native. Yeah, it's, yeah, you see it in native native um, in native books. And- yeah, so it, it is a, a plant that, you know, we should be growing. Mm. Mm. So that was one example. That was the sort of edible example of the future future climate mm, plant. Okay. The other one I brought in here, which for, for the guys in the studio isn't even that spectacular. It's a tiny little uh, plant. This is the the sea box, uh, or also known as the dysentery tree, I think, which is a horrible name. <laughs> is that because um, people would 
go behind the the sea box head? I, I don't know. <laughs> apparently, apparently, the bark was used uh, by indigenous people as a remedy for right. For oh, animals. okay. Got the runs. But uh, oh. it's it's Elixia buxifolia, so it's a native Australian plant that grows along along the, the basically across the whole southern coast. Um, I I particularly like it, and I brought it in as an example because I think it's a one of these plants that um, uh, have been underutilized in the Australian mm. landscape. There, we, and we've, there are a number, quite a number of Australian plants that are being used more and more in ornamental gardens, and a lot of sort of a lot of flaxy-looking dianellas and yes. lamandras mm. and those sorts of things seem to be, you know, they're pretty well established in the, in the landscape industry now. Yep. But this is an equivalent to a, hence the name Buxifolia. Mm. It's it's an equivalent to a box hedge. Yep. It will grow in the most hostile sandy conditions. Uh, it will grow on a coast, wind blown, uh, and beautiful, attractive. Small green dark leaf, clippable, would grow happily in a pot, mm. has a little white flower. It's sort of like a tiny little gardenia flower, uh, a little red berry. I, I think it's a plant that's got potential to, to be something in ornamental horticulture. So I'm, I'm trying this in my garden. I'm, I'm in Arthur's seat, but I'm in a, um, I'm in a clay soil. So I'm interest, interested to see how it's going to respond in a clay okay. soil uh, because it's more for a sandy soil. So, yep. But if, if someone's in a, in a sandy, sandy area, coastal area, Bit windswept, salt laden winds, mm. and looking for something that they can clip and sort of to pyrise, yep. uh, uh, or even put in a pot. Like I say, I think this mm. is a really good a good plant. You don't see it very often. I was going to say it's not readily available. No, that and, I know. Well, I mean, it's one that I've just picked up mm. in you know coming into this the natural mm. uh, the native plant scene. Yeah, you'd thought, find oh, it in most of the indige nurseries yeah. around Melbourne would grow it because it does occur pretty widely. doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, right the way along, all the way yeah. to WA. Okay, yeah. but not. Usually as tube stock or as yeah. small plants, You're not, not as an ornamental. You're not seeing it in an eight-inch pot ready. Yeah, to yes, and yes. I think there's potential. So. And the microwave gardeners need yeah, the, the microwave the gardeners need some instant success the, with Seabox. The amount of, amount of times I've had this conversation, though, even with landscapes, I remember having a conversation with Jim Fogarty years ago about um, the beautiful local nicotine, which I grow in a pot on my front doorstep. It flowers pretty much. It's just starting to recover, so um, mm-hmm. you know, let it just look terrible over winter. I've just cut it back because it is very cold and the new growth is emerging. And it'll put up white, beautiful sprays of white flowers and they will be there until May. Pretty much, you know, for a pot plant on a front doorstep, yeah. you just can't beat it. So it's a gorgeous plant, as beautiful as any of the the exotic nicotines. But how many people have heard of it? No yeah. one's heard. And yeah. I was rousing at him one day about yeah. it, you know, because he works in the Malvern set. I'm going, you yeah. got to, you got to start putting this stuff into people's gardens. And he said to me, but I can't get pots of it. Yeah, you know, I can only, yeah. you can only get it in tube stock. And so I did when I, I didn't end up filming it, but I grew my tubes onto six-inch pots. Yeah. <laughs> so if I was going to film it, I could show people a six-inch pot of this thing. But, well, that's exactly you know, what this little specimen yeah, here yeah, is. Yeah, right. <laughs> just like, yeah. And I do think sometimes I should just buy tubes of a lot of stuff, pot mm. them up because you can't get them. And particularly if I'm filming now, I often want something that's a little bit bulkier to show people. If I'm going to say, hey, what about this little blueberry heath? Yeah. You know, I want you and to... It's got to be, be sort of a, a volume that looks like something rather than a stick. In a, in a stick in a pot right. is yeah. really hard, and it, it you know it's hard for TV, but it's also hard for the consuming garden audience. You know, people aren't going to go to their nursery and pick up a stick in the pot unless they know what that stick is and yeah. what it could be. So, yeah, yeah it is. I, I well, think, keep your eye out for Seabox. Yeah, because it'll be it your back. company. Seabox <laughs> 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 It's a movement. <laughs>
bit of sea celery, we'd be on. <laughs> bit of a whole sea range. Look up no. Okay, we're going to go to a couple of more callers. We have Alex in Beaconsfield. Good morning, Alex. Oh, good morning, Pam. And I'm just feeling a bit like the tree lady Violet who interjected with Millie. <gasps> oh. Mm. You're going to tell I, us off? I think you need some balance about the discussion about wetlands. Okay. To speak of them as though they're glorious places, but I've been reading the history of Melbourne, and they were swamps and wastelands, and but they had to be drained. You know, were they we swamps before humans? Swamp, and it was only good for putting noxious industries there and dumping sewerage and rubbish tips and things like that. That sounds like more yeah. of a human intervention, yeah. Alex, than oh, a natural well, one. It absolutely is. And when you read that the Mooney Ponds Creek didn't even make it to the Yarra River, but there was a great chain of ponds and waterfowl and plants and, you know, and we've drained all that. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's – well, I think you raise a good point, Alex. I think – that you look at the Cooey Rup area, the whole Cooey Rup Blackfish swamp. Blackfish running. That, yeah. that would have been some amazing wetland. It would have been oh. a Kakadu rivaling wetland. Karam and Werribee and, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah the Karam Karam Swamp. Well, that's where the nursery I work at is in the Karam Karam Swamp. So well, it, it did get, you're right, it did all get drained. <clears throat> I think and, a lot of it's got to do with our attitudes that we've inherited. Oh, completely, Alex. And uh, water management at those times was just rush it out, drains, you know, get it out. Drains, oh, that yeah. swamp, what's that doing? Well, dump, you're right, dump rubbish in there. Well, you if know? you look at the uh, the Melbourne Open Sewer um, project, which is basically a concrete culvert, yeah. and now Parks Victoria Melbourne Water are getting on board with doing some bioremediation, wetland installations are going in there. Uh, Biofilter, who are a company associated with Australian Ecosystems, mm. have been installing... Uh, you know, interceptors for for mm-hmm. um, wastewater and bio treatment through use of plants. So I think there's a, I think Alex, what we're doing now is, and we have been in wetland construction for the last twenty thirty years, is actually going back to what trying to reinstall reinstall what, what was, was ripped out yeah. when, when they were all drained because it was yeah. it was a failure. It basically created a, a dirty bay. You know, a lot of horrible water mm. going into into Melbourne, into the into Port Phillip Bay. So we're we're band-aiding that. That's what that's what yeah. these wetlands are. I do think that we've uh, improved a lot on the uh, the basins, the flood control basins that we've had. That in new uh, new developments, we're putting in you know wetlands and lakes and things. And mm. the, the the developers are using terms like lakes and stuff now. <laughs> Whereas yes. <laughs> previously we would have only drained it. Yeah. Yes. It would have been called swamps and yeah. tips. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's the it's that association of language too. The word swamp being something negative, whereas yeah. in fact it's a wetland. Just, is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whereas a wetland is a positive thing. But it, you know, the the function of them is is the same. But you know, I'm always nervous when I see a lot of the development when you drive through the developments and and thank. Thankfully, sometimes they retain some of those big old river red gums, but that just suggests to me that that place is going to flood. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I think, oh gosh, I hope they've thought about that. Well, and, 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 and these are a lot of the jobs that we do at Australian Ecosystems where they have the hydrology has been mapped, and this is, you know, there are watercourses or, or ephemeral wetlands running through those developments. So there is a pulse. <laughs> Um, yes, to understand. Uh, uh, and to understand yeah. there are pulses and, and dry periods, mm. and they're designing that in, so mm. which is a good thing. 
Mm. We never can restore things to what they were in 1835, but by gee, we can improve what we've got now. That's we certainly true. can. Yep, yeah. definitely. Good on you. Keep waving the flag. <laughs> <laughs> I often Thanks, tell Alex. a little story with um, driving to my friend's house. So they've bought a house in you know Western <laughs> Suburbs Development, um, something Landing, Williams Landing, and we're driving driving to the house, and all of the um, all of the verges there are planted with like they've made swales, and and they're planted with clumping plants, and of course they're all full of rubbish and um and my friend said to me oh it's just ridiculous they've done that they just get full of rubbish and i said yes that's the point that's what they do (laughs) that's the job you don't have to mow a lawn but every now and then you're gonna have to go out and pull the chip packets out and put them in the bin that's that's and she sort of looked at me and i realized that's what they've done they put these things in, but they haven't necessarily communicated it to the residents as to why they've done what they've done and how to maintain it so it looks good yes it's the similar i was talking to some people from Melbourne Water about the Maribyrnong River where there, there's a bunch of Phragmites along a section yep. of, the, of, the, of the river. Good weaving plant. Yeah, well, good weaving plant and a good interceptor plant too. Um, and we're now, you know, we were talking about putting more in mm. to stabilise a bank, you know, really, really good species yeah. for doing that. Um, but he said the most common complaint they get about when they plant Phragmites, which is the, for those of you who don't know what Phragmites is, it's a, 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 a perennial grass, tall grass, that um, that can, grows on a stream side, mm. he said. The biggest complaint is that it traps rubbish. <laughs> but he said, well, as you, as That's you say, the point. that is the point. That yeah. it, it stabilizes the bank and it stops it running into the bay. So yeah. it's got a function here. Much prefer if that rubbish was just in the bay where I can't see. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> floating around. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In some whale's <laughs> yeah. belly where I don't have to think about it. You know, it's just, <laughs> oh, oh, we got a job ahead of us, don't oh, we? Dear. <laughs> Okay, we're going next to Sue out in Heathmont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning, and thank you for taking my call. And I've got heaps of questions, so I'll keep them really short. <laughs> okay. Okay. Aeromophilus, some are flowering, but I've forgotten to cut them back. Can I still cut them back while they're flowering? Yes or no? Do you need to? Do you need to shape them? or are you... They're starting to look very rangy. I might hold back until it just gets a tiny bit warmer, but absolutely just don't go too hard. Nice, yeah. nice okay. general prune would be fine. Little okay. snipping to control yep. it. Yep. Okay. I have an entire wall of that horrible volcanic rock that three years ago I planted heaps of prostrate acacia, and they've gone beautifully. They look fabulous. Lovely. I love them to bits. But last year some of them started to look really manky as if they'd been chewed. So I thought, oh, perhaps I need to prune these. So it did very gingerly prune it a little bit and that seemed to recover. Yesterday I got stuck into it and I pruned it all a bit more. Should I have done that and can I prune it a bit more? Because they're all starting to look a trifle manky and they will face full western sun. My experience with acacias is they don't like lots of repeated pruning. They're they're not a, I'm not sure which one it is, but they're not a long-lived species generally. Cootamundra. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, look, I think if you you don't want to be pruning too hard, I think the secret to to pruning something like an acacia or like one of those is continual or repeated um, uh, little Snippet. little bits of pruning. Tip yeah. pruning. Yeah, Snippet. tip pruning. Because if you go too hard into the older wood, they won't respond, and you'll end up with big mm. bare patches. So I ah. think if if you're wanting to contain it and control it and sort of mm. manicure it a bit, you'd you'd be out there every no, month or so. No, I don't really want to manicure off. it. It was looking sickly. It was looking mm. manky. Then there might like be some other problem. Chewing it. Yeah, yeah that, I think pruning is not necessarily going to overcome yes. that 
you know, you need to find out what it is that's doing okay, that. Okay, it's right beside a gum tree that for the first time in my life I've seen caterpillars on a gum tree. Mm. I was really surprised. Oh, they the, carry quite a few species. Yeah, oh, yeah they yeah. usually do. Yeah, yeah there's, okay. there's, right. there's sawfly, larva, all yeah. sorts of things that hang out on gum trees. Okay, all right. I, so, I would say it's probably going to, again, it's probably about to flower. Um, and if you, no, it has flowered. Oh, okay. It's over. I reckon a light prune would not yeah. be a bad idea. And then if you if you think that something is eating it and you want to, I mean, often this there's an underlying problem, but you might just give it a, a bang with a horticultural oil or something like that. Um, so maybe dry, a couple of times, three weeks down. apart. Try and find out what it is, though. Yeah. Because okay. if it is actively right. eating it, yep. you will find it. Yeah. I can have a good look. Yeah. Yeah. I certainly can do that. I can, I can take a piece of it down to the nursery. That's okay. a good idea. Okay. One more question. Why do my hop plants, as soon as they get to about two and a half, three years, they look fabulous. They're about three metres high. They, they're stunning. And then they just turn up their toes. Yeah. Is that the purpurea, the purple yeah. one? Yeah. Because it does that. Yeah, because they're short-lived. Yeah. <laughs> How dare it. Because they're a they're bit a rubbish bit. like that. <laughs> go, for the, go for the indige one, the, the, the what's it, species. Yeah. The the, um, there's a local species, which I just think it has the most beautiful seed pods. Yeah. Much more subtle plant. Um, can, you but, tell, can you tell me the name of it, please? Dodonea? Yeah, but I'm trying to think of the species. There's Viscosa. Viscosa. And, and there's a subspecies. Oh, yeah. But Dodonea, so it's... off your tongue, but trying to translate them into the D-O-D-O-N-E-A. And if you go to a native nursery... um, But that's what I've got. But you're talking about the dark, the purple leaf, quite long purple leaf form. Yes. There's a green leaf form. Smaller Uh leaf, not as striking, but a very lovely plant. Yeah. And um, and it's a local species, so it's local to Melbourne. There are actually a number of... Um, mm. of local subspecies mm. throughout Melbourne. So. Okay, all right. I, sh- I shall go and trace that up. Now, one more question. I know you'll be bored stupid about this because everybody Lemon tree? asks it. Yes, <laughs> no. of course. But, but I, I, I've, I've, I've found a gall wasp. It's only a small one. And I thought, no, I'm not going to cut that whole branch off. What if I slice it with a sterile razor blade? That's fine. I can do that. What do I do? I need to tape it up then to stop further infestation. So is the is the so you're talking about the gall itself? Like it's it's the the, mm. the growth the, on the, the trunk, swelling. The, the swelling. Yeah. If it's already swelling and it's got pinprick holes in it, they've already done it and gone. No, it hasn't. It's just beginning to swell and there's no okay. pinprick She's holes. Cut okay. 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 Yeah, I think yeah. that can be effective because you're just exposing the larva. Um, yeah. But it is still knocking that branch back a little bit. So in the long term, you probably want to remove that branch anyway uh, and encourage other growth. But sometimes when you've got a little plant, you want to keep mm. a few leaves photosynthesizing. I do. Too. Yeah. I do. But look, I mean, I, I don't Do think... I tape it up? No, don't tape it up. Don't tape it. No. Never, never cover... Let it just, you know, you're just going to create something for another something mm. to live in there. But just so let it just heal allow itself. allow it to form a sort of a callus. Yeah, it'll yes. heal itself. Yeah. It'll heal itself if it's mm. healthy. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Last question. I'll make it quick. Wolf and I... Oh, they become triffids. Yeah, yes. they do. The euphorbia wolf and I. Yeah, <laughs> never. I had a black one once before, and it was beautiful and didn't throw. It didn't throw babies like this one does. I, when do I do I do I cut the flowers before they're finished to stop them throwing all of these triffid like? You could do that. Yeah, transplants. Is that the right time to cut them? Mm-hmm. If you wanted to, if you wanted to stop seeding, yes. yes. Oh, there's millions of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get right. some wonderful variation yeah. in the um in the they're like kind of like mm. echiums. Years ago, working with Evan Golke, one of the schools, we put everything through the mulcher and then we'd mulch. And so throughout the school grounds, we had all of these variations of echium, fastuosum, and 
Euphorbia wolf and I, you know, it might be a big round mm. head or a particular yellow one or have a really dark yeah. centre and it was quite gorgeous but it was a, a sight that allowed and with, that. And with echiums, you get, you know, you get different, like Pinks the stamens and, are different colour yeah. to the petal. And... I've got three that are growing now and I'll be waiting to see the flowers. I, mm. I haven't seen them flower yet. Ah. And I saw one that somebody turned it into a standard that was absolutely fabulous. A, 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 an a echium. echium. Yes. Ah, yeah, they kind of do that little cloud pruny sort of look anyway. Ah, it looked absolutely fabulous and then it drooped. So it looked ah. really gorgeous. Fantastic. Look, you, you have been very helpful. Thank you so much. Okay, then. You can always have Thank plenty you. of fun with Bye. plants, can't you? Yes. Okay. Playing with plants. Don't have to do the same thing with them every time. You can do do whatever you like. I've never really. done a standard echium, though. I've got a couple at home. I could do that too. We'll see how it goes. <laughs> Something new. You've brought in a whole lot of uh, produce. Millie, I, do you want to I just brought in some handfuls of stuff. Um, but look, I, I, I would be keen to come back to the conversation um, when I was saying at the start of the program that I'd filmed a story about, you know, it was about raising seed, really, and seedlings yep. in, a, in a really old, beautiful old um, seedling nursery in Melbourne, which is still in a suburban, you know, the nurseries are dropping off, but this one. Mm. Is still there, and um, and you know the point that the as as suppliers of whole, of retail nurseries that their market used to be eighty percent flowers and twenty percent vegetables, and it's completely flipped. But you know one thing that I've I'm sort of obsessed with, and and you know people love formulas on our program. You know you, you probably found the same thing that people want steps. You know so often we'll go, what's the recipe? What's your soil recipe? You know make it up. Just the <laughs> recipe for guaranteed success. Exactly. Yes. Or they yes. just like you know they need instructions because there are lots of people getting into gardening who and you know if, uh, would take a, a punnet of seedlings home and probably plant the whole punnet straight in and not know that they needed to set you know there's a lot of people coming into it and so one of the things that I've kind of trying to put out there as a bit of a formula is about incorporating flowers into the food garden and um and you know that without flowers in our gardens and of course our vegetables flower and my broccoli's flowering at the moment and it's the only flower in the in the productive garden and doing a good job full of nectar but I think it, it's worthwhile trying to remind people when they're wanting to have a go at growing veggies that you should always incorporate flowers because they do just such a range of, of jobs for us. So it's apart from looking really nice, but, you know, obviously offering pollen and nectar to predatory insects and pollinators, if you've got something that, that requires pollination or pollen to be moved by a bee, then you, you need some other flowers kicking around in the garden garden to bring them. And um, so anyway, I, I've sort of been thinking about that and thinking about my perfect formula and I, I, years ago I read about lettuce farming and organic lettuce production in the United States and a study that had run over the course of about 10 years. So a really well-followed study uh, for an organic cos lettuce farm where they were using, and it's just such a humble plant, but probably one of the best insectary plants that you could have in oh, a home is. garden is the alyssum, sweet yep. alyssum. So it's called sweet alyssum. You can smell it. You can smell the nectar in this flower. And so this is one of the major combination plants that they use in organic lettuce production. And, um, you know, to the point where now there's some at some point start planting about 10% of their crop down to alyssum and actually incorporating those plantings. So this fantastic study looked at different patterns of planting. So you know, they did two rows of alyssum every eight rows of lettuce and tried that. And, but that, you know, that meant there was about 17% less lettuce growing in the field. So then they tried, you know, interspersing 
um, a similar ratio of alyssum with the lettuce every eight rows. And that, again, brought the production down about, you know, about a third or something like that. So now they've gone to the point where they do this enrichment planting where every eight rows they actually plant alyssum with lettuce, so within it. And then they also run uh, sort of like perpendicular Every, every you know, certain uh, metres they'll run a row of alyssum that goes across those rows as well. So they've got movement because they realised they were planting too much at the start, Yeah, you know, yeah. more than they needed. <clears throat> yep. And they're getting this fantastic control of aphids because things like hoverflies, yep. when they come into the field, they yep. lay their larvae. Their larvae, a lot of predatory in- insect larvae are actually um, meat eaters as opposed to looking for pollen and nectar. Mm-hmm. So they will voraciously get through. I heard a figure like something like they could eat 100 aphids a day or something yeah. ridiculous. You're wow. thinking, wow. Yeah. Um, and so they're finding that they're getting fantastic control of this insect pest, which, you know, in non-organic farming situations, you can imagine the amount of uh, chemicals that need to be sprayed onto a plant and also they'd also not be a contact insecticide. We're talking about mm. something that actually is drawn into the plant because things like an aphid, is go- they're going to be within the lettuce structure. Yes. They're not, you know, they're not up on the surface. They're right within there. And um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I think for every every five lettuce plants you plant, you should plant at least one alyssum oh, or other fla- – yeah, something formula. I'm making yeah. that up. That's yeah. not science. But, <laughs> you know, but – Go just, with that, everyone. But just, you know, and I'll film this next week. It'll go to air sometime next year probably. But just for me, it's a really simple equation that we can try and get people thinking in that way. When you buy, and it's good for the, you know, I say this, I came out of nurseries, it's good for the industry too because the less we have these nurseries growing these different varieties of flowers and the less we're planting them, they're just going to disappear. You know, the seed stops coming into the country, then we can't get it into the country. You know, these varieties disappear. I can't buy that gorgeous lime nicotine Mm. um, that I, you know, that I... I used to plant in my garden all the time because no one's growing it anymore. Yeah. You know, well, you can't and you can't find – You can't sell You can't see it. You can't sell it. Oh, you can't sell any nicotines now. No, no well, you can do some of the Nicotianas. Mm. Ah. Well, <laughs> one, of the, one of the nurseries is still doing the blood red form. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, I encourage people to still go out and do it. And yeah. <laughs> but there are some – there have been – well, there are some restrictions around growing nicotine. Because right. of the yeah, yeah, because yeah, of, yeah. of the illicit tobacco Oh, that's tobacco right, all that illicit. Trade. That was right. There's some yeah. organised crime yes, in my backyard, right. yes. in that pot on my front yeah. doorstep. That, that was you. It chop, is chop. A, yeah, yeah, chop, chop. Oh, it is funny, isn't it, how those things can change things. But anyway, I just wanted to encourage people, and it, and for them to encourage other gardeners, if they're planning out their food first vegetable garden, give them a few punnets of flowers. The other thing that I grow, and I'll grow some seed of, is the gorgeous orange cosmos. Oh, um, just such a good plant. Mm. Like I, I like the pink and white, but... But I, the orange, um, I think Yates sell one called Bright Eyes, which actually yes. contributes yep. a bit of money to yeah. um, research into macular degeneration and, and other stuff. So Bright Eyes, obviously. Yes. Been, but, um, yeah, look, a fantastic plant. And, and every you know, just make sure you're bringing flowers into your food garden. It'll look gorgeous. Your neighbours will like it even more. Well, my garden's on my driveway, so obviously <laughs> I've got to keep it looking pretty. Um, but, uh, yeah, just the, the – I'm going to say, is it one in five? Will we go one in five or one in six? Because oh, we're making it up right now yeah 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 you're making the science up yeah right now. one <laughs> yeah. in five one in five yeah <laughs> for every five veggies you plant make sure you plant a flower and alyssum is fantastic under roses too for the same reason oh it's just a, it it is such a it's such a sweet humble little plant mm. but it, it really is um it, it is such a performer it and you can is. you can raise seed in no time you can get a punnet for for four bucks mm. and uh hopefully it'll seed a little bit in the garden and, and come up and you won't have to think about sowing it again yep yep brilliant Okay, we're going next to Hugh in the Yarra Valley. Good morning, Hugh. 
Oh, good morning, panel. Good morning, Victoria. I'm I'm not having exactly good news for you, but I, it's worthwhile telling you a little story. I think I have said the, told the story once before, and it's worthwhile repeating it. I, I remember I went to the to the Royal Horticultural Society meeting at the Botanical Garden in Melbourne, and uh, the meeting started as usual in the 19 in the early 1980s. I can't remember exactly the year. It could have been 1983 or four, something like that. And anyway, one of the valued members we had was a Mr. Gardner. And he was kind of a successor of uh, Kevin Hines. I think he was also from the Botanic uh, Garden uh, um, propagating stable there. <clears throat> anyway, Mr. Gardner came to the meeting and said, Madam Chairman, um, I guess where I have been today, I've been today to Cranburn. And yes, we're starting our botanic garden in Cranbourne. But when we got there, it was just horrible. We only found a fence with barbed wire. And through the area, which is supposed to be a botanic garden, goes a main road. And, and there's only sand. There's no water. There is nothing. There's no public transport. It is just really outside, and I don't know how we ever get a botanic garden going. And he said that they had plans with them, they had a pick and a shovel and so on and so forth. And since they were there, Mr. Gardner said we might as well use the time up, and we planned our first um, natives here along this road and see what will happen. And that is the beginning of the botanic garden or in Cranburn, as you people know it today. I have never, ever been there, but that's another story. But anyway, for those people who might remember Mr. Gardner, he was also a, a, a garden program presenter on the ABC. Um, I think he followed in the steps of Kevin Hines when Kevin Hines... Um, so what? He... Pardon? So what was and the name so of the program? What, yes, yeah. And so what I think he was. Mm. Uh, and um, for a long time he was there. I don't know much about Mr. Gardner except that he was a little bit older than me. And he was an uh, Air Force man. And that's about all because our conversations were usually about horticulture. So for anybody who remembers Mr. Gardner of so what and of the botanic gardens in, in Cranbourne as today. I hate to tell you, but this has happened. Mr. Gardner died fairly recently. I think he was then 92, or he became 92 or something. Anyway, Madame Presenter, that's, that's all I want to tell you. Okay, thanks very much for that, Hugh. Bye-bye. Bye. We are running through to 9.15, so if people want to jump on the lines quickly to ask a gardening call before we, uh, gardening question before we have to finish, that number is 94190155. That's 94190155. I, I know That's, I brought this in before. Yep. It's, you can see that I was seed sowing yesterday. It's actually It's filthy. actually been used. <laughs> it's so filthy. I ran outside and um, I had my little, I've got this great little fold-away working bench, which becomes a fold-away propagating bench. But, um, yeah, really, you know, for seed sowing, 
key, you know, we've been talking about it a lot this morning, key things people need to, to get right if they want to raise things from seed. Obviously, moisture and humidity. Um, and interesting, at Lee's, uh, the tomatoes are raised in a house that's about 18, 20 degrees, not particularly humid, whereas capsicums, eggplants, mm. much more humid environment and a little bit warmer, so much fussier. Um, which which was uh, fairly interesting. And, you know, one of the situations, they've got cappies and um, a whole lot of capsicums coming up in the tomato house, but they just had a really simple little core flute, you know, plastic sort of tray that they'd made with a couple of sticks that sat over the top of it just to create that added humidity. I've just put in a little, it cost me a fortune actually, but uh, a little um, uh, thermostat double tray yeah. heat raiser, yeah. which yep. I've never used before in the in the past. I've just used a, my old window frame with a moist sand base. But for um, capsicums and chilies, it makes a huge difference to have yeah. that bottom heat, that, that extra push. At Absolutely. This time of year. And mm-hmm. the, But the other thing, of course, is like what should be sown direct and what shouldn't. And, and one of my favourite little tools, I bought this, um, there's a mob called Olsen Nurseries, Olsen, in, um, they're market gardeners in New South Wales, but they also sell um, some really, really great equipment for market gardening. Uh, they sell some, that beautiful oscillating hoe that you can sort of, you know, it's got a little pivoting head that you can sort of run through yep. and quite, a, you know, the homies and some of those um, mm-hmm. Things, but they also sell a range of soil blockers, and this is just their little micro soil blocker. So, for people listening, it's it's probably you know it's the size of, I guess I was going to say my dad would have said a packet of Peter Jackson Super Mild. I was thrown <laughs> in for scale, but you know it's sort of a a, a, a small box uh, about ten centimeters by about seven centimeters, I guess, and it it um, it blocks out little blocks of soil that I sow my lettuce directly into. So things that don't want to be transplanted. This is a great way to start seeds. So you. Live Literally make up your soil mix. I do one with a bit of coir peat, some worm casting, sometimes a bit of propagating sand. Um, if I had some manure, I would have put just a tiny bit of cow manure in, but I didn't. So, you know, whatever I've got lying around, I'm a bit mm. bit, um, bit haphazard with my, my recipes, but makes a nice mix that can sort of hold together. The worm castings help it just hold together um, well enough. And then you pack it into this little stamp and it presses out little blocks of soil with an indent in it. And um, it's... I've just had so much fun and so much success raising seed this way. So then they go onto a, a, a permanently moist surface. So um, on my little prop tray, it's a moist felt, but also, you know, in the past I've just used plastic boxes with moist sand in the bottom and you sort of nestle nestle your tray down so that there's always some moisture available, which is really, really key. critical. I think, I think the, the key to sowing seed or success with seed is to understand what seed is and what you're doing to it. So you're waking up uh, effectively a dormant plant part and it's, and it's about getting moisture in there to activate the embryo. And I think where people have perhaps the most failure is they'll activate it, it'll germinate, and then it dries out. Yep. So the media yep. or the, the blocks that you've got there, Millie, or, or whatever seed-raising mix you're going to use for anyone, make sure it's pretty fine so it can hold moisture close to that seed mm. and it will hold moisture long enough to get it to the point where it's got some active roots and a... And a and a, an emerging shoot. Yep. Once it's through that, it's through the tough bit, really. Yeah, and, and that, it's it, you've got to be so consistent. Yeah. And consistency is the key. Uh, you know, most seed raising mixes won't have much nutrient in them because you're really just getting those cotyledons up. The seed leaves that are in the seed, pop them up, and then they can start photosynthesizing and manufacturing. At that point, you need to get them into some nutrients. Yeah. So whether that is liquid feeding them 
or moving them into a different media. But even just a sieved um, normal potting mix, I've got a, yeah. a big um, sort of, it's like a wok sieve that I bought in Footscray at one of the, the Asian grocers there. Um, so I can scoop potting mix out and then I just and You're just it. taking out the big chunks. Because taking, you don't, you yeah, don't want so. a big air pocket sitting next to your seed. Because or you a might... huge piece of pine bark on top of a yeah. tiny seed, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, look, I just think it's such a lovely thing to do. And if you even if you, your grandkids pop over today and you want to just raise some seed, just go to the spice cupboard. There's something in there that you can grow <laughs> you'll find something that you can easily grow but um yeah the soil blocker i've got to say I, i've always wanted to they make a size up from this that creates a soil block with an indentation that is the size of this block so you can literally drop the blocks oh, into so the next oh, yes, yes, yes. But I, I had um years ago i had a radio listener when i was talking about this send me because i was looking and looking and looking for those old aluminium ice cube trays yes um and she sent me one so i still haven't managed to manufacture my own larger soil block but i have got the plans for it the concept mm. i just haven't uh, implemented it but look great little investment i think it cost me about 30 bucks um and you know, for each of those, every time I do it, I'm doing 24 seedlings. Yes. So, you know, it's it's really efficient um, time-wise. Pricking out lettuce seedlings, oh, my mm. God, kill me. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and yeah. I've done that in the past. And it's better. The plant will grow better. Yeah. It's developed a root system that's intact from day dot. That's yeah. right. So you're not, not yep. transplanting. Mm. Yeah. So, look, I, just to, I know everyone has their own little tricks, but that's been a great little piece of kit for me, actually, over mm. the last few years. Mm. Mm. Fantastic. Okay, we're going next to Nola out in Ringwood. Good morning, Nola. Good morning. Uh, look, you've just answered a couple of my questions just listening to you now. Oh, good. So thank you for that. But I've got two, if I may, if you've got time. Sure. One of them is alpine strawberries. I'm trying to grow from seed. And um, I, I sprinkled them on the top of the punnets. And I'm just wondering how long I should expect for them before they germinate. And should I cover them with some fine, uh, more, you know, sort of seed raising mix? It wouldn't hurt. In fact, you probably should. Just uh, they're very fine seed. They so are. If you get a sieve and um, just a little light dusting across the top, that will that, they don't need light to germinate. <clears throat> so oh right. See, I some seed they do, did. like lettuce, for instance, lettuce, yeah. likes a bit of light to germinate, but strawberry seed's fine. And I reckon right. it'll take. It should take you. You should see some germination in a couple of weeks at least. Brilliant. Um, and yeah, they grow readily from seed. You'll yeah, you'll have a whole flush. Oh, that's thank you so much. And they're much. pretty yummy. Yeah. Oh yes, I'm looking forward to them. The other question was about potatoes, and what I've done is the bed that I had tomatoes in, I put um, bio mustard in and then dug it in, and that was about a month ago. Can I plant potatoes in that bed, or is that really stupid? You probably shouldn't. You probably should. Okay. Do you that's subtle? She said, yeah. is it really stupid? Yeah. <laughs> that was a direct question. <laughs> and I'm not saying yes to that. No, no, no. But you probably shouldn't. what I'm saying is I think I, think I, I reckon I, I probably know I shouldn't. But I just <laughs> You're asking well, for it, Nola. You're asking for it. I am, do. aren't I? Your yeah. bio mustard is going it, to – it'll get to the nematodes. It, it's mm. intended to get to soil nematodes. But with solanaceous – Tomatoes and potatoes, there's other bacterials and wilt diseases that they'll host and you're better off to have a break, do a different crop in there for a year or two before okay. you go back to another crop that's the same. Because once you've got problems, it's yeah. really, yeah, you don't... Avoid want... it if you can, yeah. if you can, yeah. Thank you. That's, that's really helped. Thank you so much for that. Okay, good on I'll you. go back to my strawberries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> go and watch them. Yeah. Thank you very much. Okay, bye. bye. Another saying, you know, some seed need light, and they do. Some actually, you know, want to be up on the surface. So um, vermiculite's a really good mm. little, uh, so it's like an expanded clay 
uh, mineral that uh, you can use on the surface so it, it holds a whole lot of moisture. It'll, it'll pin the seed down, keep them in place, um, but then... And allow light as allows well. Allows a light, yeah. light through, so, yeah. yeah. This is where I think um, partly why, why people don't grow from seed um, because then these questions do come up. Which seeds need light, which don't? Which seeds need to be soaked before planting, which don't? And the I, list goes on, the questions go on. It can get complex, but also, you know, I, many times I've sowed lettuce seed into a punnet, yep. sprinkled a bit of soil over the top and walked and away and they germinate. So, yep. you know, there's, there's, there's what you do if you're, you're, you know, in the mood to do all the things you think you know you should. And I, my vermiculite bag was right near me, so I did, but often I would not, you know. So, you have success. If, yeah. Like I think if you, if, you get the, if you get the very principle of you're waking up a dormant, plant mm. a piece of plant material mm. and that it's got to stay moist it's, it needs moisture it needs uh some and a bit of warmth mm. especially this time of the year for the summer mm. crops Gosh, yes. and you can provide those two things you'll have success yeah. in most circumstances you know yeah. I, I don't think you're too hung up on on whether it's a light requiring or mm. or whether it's a phase of the moon i mean you, those sorts of things you can experiment with later on if you just want to get some seed going do that yeah and and, and the the smaller seeds require um, they, they require a finer media, if you like. Mm. like so, because it, it's, yeah, it's, again, it's about peel growing gravel, just about. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and if 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 in doubt, and you want to have guaranteed success, get go for peas. And yeah, they're really simple, really easy. I mean, you know, we probably all at, at school did the one where you do it in the tissue, and you yeah. watch the you watch the hypocotyl emerge. They don't need much to get going. Exactly. So, so you're not you're not gonna don't pick the tough ones. And it's a great time pick to do the it. Easy ones. Yeah. Good, peas, good spring crop. Big seeds. I mean, yeah. you think about what what you tend to do if you're gardening with children. So mm. I instantly think of radishes, for instance. Yep. You know, mm. things that you've got guaranteed success, and then gradually yep. broaden out from that. And it might sound like vermiculite and soil blockers. I've got all this kit, but seriously, I sewed my chilies um, into or capsicums, some Italian capsicums, into a strawberry punnet. And close the lid because I know they want to stay just a bit warmer than everything else. So and they need to be more humid. So I went righto. That's perfect. And you've got them. Yep. You can get them. Uh, yeah. At the supermarket. Yeah. Every day. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> you know you, you you can be as 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 high tech as you like, um, or just just have a go. I tell you, one of the seeds that I sow. Um, regularly and and last year I did it in all of the little spots that you know you got a few gaps in the garden and the little spot was just buckwheat uh, I bought it from the the Mediterranean grocer for about um, you know three dollars for a kilo I sprouted some just to see if it was viable so I'll often just soak seed in water in a jar and then just see if it's going to to shoot and it, it is a fantastic cover crop it's a really good green manure it flowers within maybe three weeks of sowing seed it's up and flowering it's quite a brittle little plant so it doesn't last long um, but it's really fantastic for bringing in predatory insects it's been demonstrated to be one of the most effective um, you know combination crops with things like grape grape vines in in vineyards and whatnot and it's it's you know a little bit of seed from the supermarket you just chuck it on the ground and and, you know you can fill all those little gaps where you think because it's three bucks for a kilo yeah, yep. you just chuck it and Even it germinates it so germinates. quickly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's seeds everywhere. I so say there's plants in your life, even if you're not a gardener. Head into the kitchen, tell me what you've got. Yes. Let's do some gardening. <laughs> <laughs> but now is definitely the time if people do want to have a go with seeds. Um, look at your, your seed catalogues. Most of the nurseries and the, uh, 
you know, the, the, the bigger uh, oh, jump distributors online. There's, there's jump online. There's online. lots of, yes, and, and get some seed. Just get excited about it and have a go. and Just buy it, even if you forget to sow it. That's what <laughs> I do. No, 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 no. <laughs> and build that's, up a that's, bank. That's, <laughs> we've got to got break to keep that those bad habit. <laughs> Pam, before we go, yeah, can, I, can I just – You've just got one, time. One thing I um, wanted to encourage any educators out there and teachers is that the Victorian School Garden Awards are open now for applicants uh, for people to submit their entries, open until the 15th of September. Yes. So if you've got a school garden and you're proud and want to enter it in a competition – Go on to the Victorian School Garden Awards website and you've got till the 15th of September. And, uh, yeah, the, the application form is all there it's ready all for online. you to yep, yep. do yep. the whole thing online. Yep. Fantastic. Which is great. Now you can do it as a single entry, I believe. You've yes. changed the, um, yep. the actual online format. And it's, our, and it's so the 40th it, anniversary this year. Of yes, the, it the is. It absolutely is. So, yeah, jump on board. And fantastic, um, you know, just to... Participate to yeah, be a part of that whole awards yep. program. Yeah, and there's, and I'm, I'm on the committee now, so I'm seeing a lot of the gardens that are coming through, and it's fantastic to see such, in, such enthusiasm from kids. Yeah, some of the school gardens are so amazing; they really yeah. are. If you have a chance to visit your local school and they've got a garden, go and have a look yeah, and do. talk to the kids about what they're doing in their mm. garden. They're the You'd future be amazed. Gardeners. They are absolutely. We have run out of time for yet another week. A huge thank you to the panel, to Millie and to Tim, and a big thank you to Rosemary, who's been handling all the calls this morning. We will, of course, be back again next week at uh, 7.30. So until then, bye for now.